Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am your host, Anthony Livingston Hall. The advertising campaign to sell Americans on an all-volunteer military is surpassed in its mercenary cynicism only by the advertising campaign to sell women on diamonds as their best friend. And more to the point, it's arguable that the CEOs and politicians who sit atop America's military-industrial complex think even less of the military volunteers who fight their wars than the sheikhs and potentates who sit atop the United Arab Emirates think of the guest workers who build their sheikdoms. Of course, the reason for this is quite simple. None of those men, and they are invariably men, would recognize any of their military volunteers or guest workers, respectively, if their lives depended on it. This is why, with respect to the former, I have always thought that the military draft or some commensurate form of public service should be as much a rite of passage in democratic societies as going to college. Not least because historical and sociological data abound, showing that nothing fosters democratic participation, civic pride, and national unity quite like the shared experience, shared sacrifice, and esprit de corps that come when military service is the defining feature of citizenship. The failure to reinstate the draft right after the terrorist attacks of 9-11 was the first of many blunders in America's ill-fated war in Afghanistan. After all, prevailing outrage over those attacks already had most Americans fuming with civic pride and displaying national unity like nobody had ever seen. But that blunder was then made unconscionable when America began turning its volunteer soldiers into beasts of burden. This by limiting participation in Operation Enduring Freedom to less than 1% of the American people, as the military kept deploying the same soldiers to repeat tours of duty. Except that a fateful symmetry eventually played out between that initial failure twenty years ago and the tragic and humiliating way America ended this war a few weeks ago. I refer you to my podcast episode, U.S. Leaving Afghanistan, A Chaotic and Tragic Mess, on August 28, 
2021. Because this episode is not about war. It's about making political leaders think long and hard before launching one. For example, if America had a draft on 9-11 with vigilant and unconditional enforcement that prevented college, religious and bone-spur-like medical deferments, instead of 20 years, I suspect the war in Afghanistan would have lasted no more than 20 weeks. Uh, by the way, Canada still looms as the neo-colossus teasing America to give me your draft dodgers, those selfish few, yearning to have their American pie and eat it too. So some might still hightail it for the border when drafted to fight. But vigilant and unconditional enforcement means treating all draft dodgers as traitors and prosecuting them accordingly. The point is that the more democratic the military, the less likely America will be to wage costly and plainly unwinnable wars like those in Vietnam and Afghanistan. <laughs> because the longer the war, the more concerned those CEOs and politicians who sit atop America's military-industrial complex will become that one of their loved ones will end up dead. As it happened, you can bet your life savings that few, if any of those men, knew any of the more than 7,000 U.S. service members killed in post-9-11 wars, not to mention the more than 30,000 who committed suicide. On the other hand, it is my abiding regard, not just for the war dead, but for the wounded too, that moved me to sound this clarion call again to reinstate the military draft. After all, as indicated earlier, I've been doing so on my blog for nearly 15 years, in commentaries like, There'll be no justice at home or peace in Iraq unless and until the US reinstates the draft. On November 27, 2006, support the draft to prevent stupid wars. On March 17, 2007, Bush dodges the draft again by ordering troops on repeat tours of duty. On April 14, 2007, and Senator McCain needles Trump as a bone-spur draft dodger on October 24, 2017. Nothing has been more vexing in this context than commanders, 
complaining about not having enough troops to execute their missions. Troops, complaining about being sent on repeat tours of duty. And recruiters, complaining about having to promote soccer moms as combat-ready troops. A post-9-11 draft would have prevented all of those complaints. Uh, but I fear it will now take unprecedented public pressure for Congress to reinstate it, because calls to do so have fallen on deaf ears for decades. This, even with influential politicians like Congressman and former Army Sergeant Charlie Rangel of New York, and public figures like 60 Minutes commentator Andy Rooney leading them. Here, for example, is how Rooney explained our mission, in his inimitable fashion, on the March 11, 2007 edition of his show. Whenever we, as a nation, decide to fight a war, in Iraq or anywhere else, it should be fought by average Americans who are drafted. End quote. By average Americans, Rooney meant every eligible American, not just the poor suckers who enlist when they grow tired of flipping burgers. And with today's technology and access to information, it won't be that easy for people to dodge the draft so blithely. You know, People like former Vice President Dick Cheney, who said he did not serve in Vietnam because he had other priorities in the 1960s than military service. By eligible American, I mean every citizen or permanent resident should be required to enlist for three years of military service at 18, making it the civic rite of passage it should be. But, to ensure basic fairness, every citizen or permanent resident between ages 19 and 35 should also be required to enlist for three years. Beyond that, every citizen or permanent resident between ages 36 and 65 should be required to enlist for some other form of public service for two years. Think in this respect of AmeriCorps on steroids, where, instead of 5 million Americans, the draft engages 25 million, and I quote, to improve lives, strengthen communities, and foster civic engagement through service and volunteering. End quote. But think also of the Peace Corps on steroids, where, instead of 250,000 Americans, the draft engages 2.5 million, and again I quote, to promote peace and friendship by helping people in interested countries around the world meet their needs for trained men and women. End quote. 
This could clearly expand composition of the National Guard and Army Reserves. But the systemic benefits that would redound to society from drafting tens of millions of Americans and permanent residents to engage in such services would be exponential. Naturally, requiring all Americans to enter boot camp at 18 would do wonders to combat the epidemic of obesity in America. <laughs> but focusing on vocational skills, as military training does, would also make millions of young people far more employable, thereby reducing America's chronic skills gap. Of course, directly related to such employment would be the concomitant benefit of reducing delinquency and crime. Perhaps you've noticed that America is becoming a nation divided against itself, even over the taking of COVID vaccines and the teaching of critical race theory. But here, too, the benefits of military service are self-evident. Because not only are service members more likely than any other group to obey COVID vaccine mandates, but no less a person than Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, has indicated that the military will continue its role as an incubator for social change by integrating critical race theory in its curriculum, just as it integrated black soldiers in its ranks. Not to mention that a draft would provide a greater pool from which civilian leaders could draw assistance in times of emergencies, the way governors in red and blue states across America have been drawing on teams of army medics to help treat COVID patients. It would guarantee health care to millions of Americans, and it would show enemies like Russia and China that every American is prepared to sacrifice their life or that of a loved one to serve, protect, and keep this republic. Uh, by the way, the Peace Corps provides Americans unique opportunities to experience different cultures, challenge jingoistic presumptions, and overcome personal prejudices. With that in mind, the military service I envision would include mandatory rotation to bases on every continent to give enlisted men and women similar opportunities. Of course, I'm calling for this draft. In the background of political tribalism and social unrest, that have had America marching towards another civil war for years. I've been in the vanguard of those sounding alarms in far too many publications to count, but I feel obliged to list just five for the record. The first four are blog commentaries, 
Five is a podcast episode. One. Tribalism and Dysfunction in American Politics On June 24, 2018 2. Impeachment vote is as much about tribalism as Trumpism On November 3, 2019 3. Republicans and Democrats began governing like Sunnis and Shias Now Washington looks like Baghdad on January 17, 2021. 4. Civil War II looms larger as Texas suppresses voting rights and bans abortions. On September 2, 2021. And 5. Online comments and the fate of democracy. On June 13, 2021. As it happens, those titles, collectively, serve as a surprising prelude to the alarms eminent historians and social critics are now sounding. Perhaps you heard John Meacham and Ken Burns last week in remarkable two-part harmony hearkening back to the fractious years of the 1850s, to explain how Americans today seem hell-bent on repeating that darkest chapter in U.S. history. And, as Meacham hummed, we all know how that ended. More ominously, Here is how Robert Kagan summed up their belated fears in a September 23 column for the Washington Post. The United States is heading into its greatest political and constitutional crisis since the Civil War, with a reasonable chance over the next three to four years of incidents of mass violence, a breakdown of federal authority, and the division of the country into warring red and blue enclaves. End quote. Meanwhile, America's foreign enemies cannot believe their dumb luck as they watch Americans become obsessed with slaying domestic enemies, real and conspired. No less an influential magazine than The Economist throws this into gloating relief in its current issue. It is no coincidence that Chinese President Xi Jinping, the leader of America's foreign enemy number one, appears on its cover. And everyone knows that China has the world's largest active-duty military, with over two million service members. America has around 1.3 million. But those numbers are misleading, because China not only has a military draft, but a conscriptive culture that imbues every one of its 1.4 billion citizens with a sense 
that they can be called upon at a moment's notice to serve the interest of the state. Apropos of which, the superpower rivalry between the United States and China will define the geopolitics of the 21st century every bit as much as the superpower rivalry between the United States and the Soviet Union defined those of the 20th. No doubt this is why this issue of The Economist also features a report showing how other countries are aping China more than the United States. A report with the fateful headline, The Military Draft is Making a Comeback. I have delineated how a military draft can be civic and altruistic. Unfortunately, as that report in The Economist makes clear, more often than not, it is penal and sadistic. In any case, it might seem oxymoronic that I'm calling for a military draft to prevent a civil war. But in this age of the twindemic, it might help to consider the analogy of injecting a virus to kill a virus. Again, I am convinced that military training and subsequent deployments to help with everything from hurricane and wildfire relief at home to humanitarian and peacekeeping missions abroad will forge bonds that are public-spirited and enduring and that this kind of democratic participation, even if mandatory, will create newfound regard for citizenship among Americans. In which case, the prospect of America becoming so divided against itself that it erupts in another civil war will become unthinkable. And so, coming full circle, the best way to recapture the spirit of national unity that prevailed for a moment after 9-11 is to reinstate the draft. Uh, that's it. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.